Good afternoon, church. It's a privilege uh, to serve you all today, especially with this word uh, that I believe is timely, and it's for all of us. Um, So I want to uh, encourage you that though we might go deeper, break the skin today, get into the heart, uh, we'll be better uh, after this message. Uh, The title is I Surrender, and basically we're going to look at David's life, and we're going to look at uh, how he bounced back uh, after a great sin that he committed. And as we look at that, we're going to see how God can build a house on a foundation of a broken and a contrite heart. And uh, not neglecting our past, the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, uh, but embracing them and dying to our flesh and saying, God, do what only you can do in my heart so that I can serve you for the rest of my life. Before we begin, we have to first understand that the revelation of Jesus Christ is the foundation or the lifeblood of our, our entire existence. It's our foundation. It's what we stand upon. And so without the revelation of Jesus Christ and, and him being crucified and, and him rising from the dead, then we, then we have no starting point. Now, that great revelation in and of, in of itself is incredible, but it doesn't stop there. We then posture ourselves to surrender because now we see God for who he is. As much as we're our human, uh, uh, as much as we we can humanly possible, we can see God in his entirety, his glory. But as you see God, it becomes a mirror image because now you start to see yourself and you say, woe is me. I'm not worthy. See, when you see what's glorious, when you see what's righteous, when you see what's holy, you start to understand who you are, your wickedness, our wickedness our lust, our pride, our greed, our anger, our deceit, all of those things. So when we see God in the manner that he is to be seen, our immediate response is, I surrender because I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Amen? Now, this faith is not just emotional. So it's not just about how you feel, though we need to feel God. It's not, intellect- it's not only intellectual, though we need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. But it starts in the spirit. And so from a spiritual standpoint, we receive the revelation of God. We can't draw it up. We can't think it through. We can't find ourselves in this place where we say, oh, I know exactly who God is. I know exactly how God is. No, it's by the spirit. And so in Matthew chapter 16, Peter's talking to Jesus and Jesus, uh, Jesus says, who am I? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus immediately responds and says, you, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You got that from the Father. And so only by the Spirit of God will the Father reveal to us who he is. And then the proper response is, I surrender. It's kind of like marriage. You get engaged. The wedding is amazing. The reception is even better. The honeymoon is fun. But then where the rubber meets the road, you realize you're not really the best person. Like you're really not who you thought you were. I'm not talking about them, like you. And so as you say what you say, as you do what you do, it's like your, your spouse is a mirror to you. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. The way. I, it's weird. I can hear the way that I speak when I speak to you. And I didn't hear that when I spoke to other people. I can, I can even my facial expressions, I can, I can just kind of go through that and survey that and say, man, I need to get better. How much more so once we know who God is and we acknowledge his holiness, his glory, do we look in our, at ourselves inwardly and say, man, I, I've missed the mark. I'm not all that I should be, and I need to surrender my life. From that revelation, from that surrender, God will empower us because he will build us up, us who are broken, contrite, 
He will build us back up so that we can be all that he's called us to be. And so we're going to look at Psalm 51. Many of you, some of you are familiar with this. And um, this is David's cry to God after being the, the greatest king to live. One of the greatest leaders, one of the most prominent figures in Israel. Riches, family, everything that he could ever imagine, he has. But yet he falls. He falls to sin. And you know, a lot of times we think that when we get to that, that level, whatever that level is for you, maybe it's financially, maybe it's professionally, maybe it's relationally. When we get to that level, then all of the old stuff will just kind of be swept under the rug. But here we find out that the brokenness of, of David's past, the dysfunction of his past, is kind of like trying to put a beach ball underwater. You keep pushing it, suppressing it, and it keeps popping up. And so what I learned through David's life is what you don't address, you suppress. And when you suppress things, they end up depressing you. And depression will lead you to either implode or explode. You'll find yourself in a position that you're not ready for and you'll be broken down. Now, here's the grace. Today we get to go through this passage and then we can respond accordingly and surrender to God. But how many of you guys know that with the revelation of Christ, we will surrender regardless, whether it's on our knees or on our back. And so whether we're going to handle this now in the spirit, trust God to build us back up, to encourage us as we are broken and contrite, recognizing our sin, recognizing our flesh, saying, I need you, God. If we can stay in that place, God will do his work and we'll be able to progress. But sometimes it takes us to get hit. It takes us getting hit by the realities of life, by our mistakes, by what we have suppressed, only to find ourselves on our back saying, God, please. My prayer for us is that we would find him on our knees and not our back. Amen. Let's read the passage. Psalm 51. We're going to read 1 through 13. All of that good scripture. But before we do that, I want to look at 16 and 17 because 16 and 17 is what we will illuminate. And so as we read 1 through 13, we'll get a better understanding of the picture in 16 and 17. So I'll read 16 and 17 and then we'll look at 1 through 13. 16 and 17, uh, David says, for you, he's talking to God, do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so David has realized I can do all the right things. I can come to church every Sunday. I can, I can, I can go to small group. I can write the most eloquent Facebook post about Jesus. But, but that's not what God's looking for. He's searching the heart. And if he can see a broken and contrite heart, he can say, there I can build a house. There I can build a house because that's the type of foundation I'm looking for. So let's go through the, through the passage. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. 
Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Let's pray. Father God, we align ourselves with this scripture. Lord, even before the sermon has begun, this passage right here resonates with so many people. And Lord, we want to be more like you. So it's going to require that we surrender and that you clean us and that you make us more like you. Help us as we study to get closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's impossible to surrender when you don't believe that you're guilty. (laughs) You know that, right? And so... There has to be a moment where you, you allow God to search you. It's kind of like growing up in the house. Your mom asks, have you cleaned your room? And you can say whatever, whether you did it or not, as long as she doesn't go up those stairs. See, because then when she starts walking that way, hey, 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 hold on, mom, real quick. I just got to talk to you about some things. How you doing? <laughs> Room stuff, that's, you know, we, we'll get to that. But when you open the door and say, hey, go ahead and search, it might not be clean to your standards, but, but, but I'm letting you in. When we allow God to come into our room, the room of our life, our heart, we say, God, I don't want to be somebody who dresses nice to church, who, who says all the right things, but I won't let you in. I want you to come into my heart and I want you to search for what's not right. And now the beauty of this is when we allow God to search, God doesn't search so that he would condemn us. He searches that he convict us. And from that conviction, that leads us into repentance. And so when we're convicted after God has searched our hearts, then we can respond accordingly and we can find security in Christ Jesus. And from there, we find deliverance. So the three points we'll talk about today is Searching, allowing God to search us, finding our security in who he is, and then saving. God saving us, finding deliverance in him. So we're going to look at David's life. We're going to look at this specific situation. Why is he writing Psalm 51? And we'll break this down. So first, I want to talk about being arrested by perspective. Arrested by perspective. And so for us, when we're caught in the, in the action... When we know, okay, yeah, I, it's definitely me, we immediately have no choice. But you know what? Now that I'm seeing it the way that you see it, like I, I, I know I've been rude my whole life, but now I'm seeing how, how, how you, you've been affected by my rudeness. Or how about this? How about you? I just, I'm, I'm on the mom thing. I got I to gotta figure this out. How about this? You, you just will not take that trash out. You just won't do it. Maybe I'm preaching. There's a son in here today. I'm talking to you because I'm talking about me, but I'm talking to you. And so, and so, it's only that moment when you see mom broken and crying. Gosh, I just, this boy won't listen. That's the moment where you say, whoa, now I'm seeing the perspective of my mom and now I'm going to act. So we cannot be our own God because when we follow our own perspective, we don't see clearly. 
So we need a righteous God. We need a holy God that will then say, hey, you are wrong. And from there, my perspective changes. And now I'm ready to change. I'm I'm ready to do what it takes to get right. There's a process of surrender for us in, in the way that we handle our relationship with God. But it's very much like a child. With my children, here's the process of surrender for my children when they know that they are guilty. First starts with denial. Now, I'm using the word denial in here because it's, you know, we're in church. But I'll just call it lying. (laughs) And so I'll ask, did you knock down the candle with this ball and split the candle in half? And immediately she's, I didn't do that. And then from denial, because we we won't stop there because I'm going to keep on asking. And so then the next phase is the reasoning. What what one of my children does, she reasons to herself first. I can start to see her look in the air. When she looks in the air, she's reasoning, maybe I did do it. See, because when you've been lying and living in denial for so long, you believe anything. And so maybe I did do that, but I don't know. And then she invites me into her reasoning. Dad, wasn't it like that the whole time? And so now I'm kind of confused. Was it? And this reasoning happens for a moment. When we break out of the reasoning, here comes the fear of consequence. Well, if I did do it, what happens next? And then from the fear of consequences, we get to the plea. Okay, let's work a deal out. Don't discipline me. I'll fix the candle. What do I need to do? And don't we treat God the same way? We've been going to church. We've been faithful. But there's some things we've been denying for a while. Some habits. Maybe it's the way that we're talking to people who we're in relationship with. Maybe it's the way that we manage our money. I don't know what it is. But, but there's some things that you're kind of suppressing. And we walk in denial for a while. After that, we start to reason, well, maybe it's not that. I, I can't find a Bible scripture about it. You know we do that a lot. I don't see this in the scripture, so I think it should be all right. And then from there, we go to the fear of consequences. And so we go through this cycle on and on and on just like children, only to find ourselves broken. And say, man, the consequences are bad, but really it just hurts me that I keep messing up. We live there. But the perspective is what changes our hearts. Because once you see how much you've offended dad, then you start to say, man, I got it. I got it. Something's got to change. Well, let's go into David's story and the reason as to why he's writing this psalm. There's a moment in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5 through 7. And really the whole book of uh, uh, the the whole chapter of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, he, he says, or, or David came out of a situation with Bathsheba where he sinned against God by, by having relations with her. And her husband, Uriah, was out at war. And then he suppresses it by saying, okay, I'm going to fix this. And, you know, sin doesn't make any sense. And so what he conjured up was, oh, I know exactly what to do. I'll kill Uriah. And now I don't have to deal with this anymore. How many times do we cover our sin with more sin? only to realize that the more that we cover, the more it's going to come down. And so he covers this and then goes on with his life. All right, everything's good. I don't have to worry about anything. But, oh, the prophet Nathan comes along. 
And Nathan says, David, I've got a story for you. And David, just like all of us, oh, the prophet's got a word. I want to hear what you got to say. Encourage me with this word. I want to be closer to God. He says, great, I got you. Here's the story. There's a rich man, there's a poor man. The rich man has everything. The poor man has nothing but a lamb. And the poor man feeds this lamb. He, 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 has, he has just a, a great time. It's a, it's a fellowship. This is his friend, <laughs> this lamb. And, and the rich man has a traveler that comes in town. And he wants to give him a meal. And instead of the rich man going to his large flock, he goes to the poor man and he takes the only thing the poor man has and feeds it to the traveler. The poor man is left with nothing. David responds, who is this man? We should kill him. He deserves death. And Nathan says, it's you, brother. It's you. In that moment, his perspective changed because he saw just how bad his sin was to Bathsheba and her family. We need to, as a church, get acquainted with the plank. Acquainted with the plank. What do I mean? Jesus said, why are we looking at the speck in other people's eye, neglecting the plank in your eye? Somehow, way, we've gotten so self-righteous, so high and mighty, that we, we neglect the entire plank that's in our eye. It's probably so big it's in both eyes. It's just going across your face like cyclops. And you're not addressing that at all. You're just looking at everybody else. Ooh, I, the, the way that person worships, I don't like that. Oh, the way that person dressed. You, oh, she shouldn't have wore that today. And oh, this person right here. Oh, the, and you just keep on talking about everybody, looking at everybody's fault, while denying all that God is trying to show you in your own life. Why do we do that? Because the more time we spend dealing with other people and talking about other people, the less we have to deal with our own self. So verse one, David says this, and it's so beautiful if you look at the contrast between him and God, because he says, be gracious according to the love and kindness and the greatness of your compassion. David lacked compassion with the process of Bathsheba and her husband. And so, God, don't be gracious like I've been gracious because I haven't been gracious. Don't be compassionate like I've been compassionate because I haven't been compassionate. God, don't deal with me the way I deal with people. Deal with me the way you deal with people. Now, as we say that, we then start to change how we deal with people because we see if God's going to be great to me, God's going to deal compassionately to me, then I need to be compassionate to others. It's time for us to have a self-check. Businesses pay millions of dollars annually to check on inventory. And if they're not on top of their sales, that's really bad because the entire business can tank if they're not counting and checking what their, their finances, their books, their, their, their inventory, whether it's retail. They spend so much time and they staff so many people to check inventory, yet we don't check inventory in our own life. God, deal with me inwardly. Have I overcome my past? What about the fact that, that I was born uh, uh, in a family that was, that, that, that was uh, not together? They, they weren't married. It was, I, was, I was a child out of wedlock. What about my family divorce? What about when that person touched me in the wrong way when I was a child? What about what they used to say to me? What about the bullying? What about? And so we don't deal with that. And if we don't deal with that, we don't allow God to search and to redeem us so that we can go to the next level. And so we find ourselves right there. But David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's one thing to understand, yes, we've fallen short of God's glory. But it's another thing to understand that, understand your transgressions. He said, I know 
let me put it in my, in my, my wording, maybe my, my Ebonic Bible. I know my dirt. I know my dirt. And so my sin is right before me. I can see it. It's clear as day. That's a great place. Because the more I can see that, the more the Spirit is revealing who I am to me, the more I can respond accordingly and I can surrender. But praise God. Thanks be to God that where there is great sin, we have a greater God. And we can respond with godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, I want to go deeper into David's life as we get into verse 5. Because there's something here that I have not addressed, I haven't really looked at in the same way as I was preparing this week, that really rocked my world. This is what he says in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity... And in sin, my mother conceived me. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin, my mother conceived me. I I read that scripture, and immediately I went back to the moment where Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse, David's David's father, and says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons sons as king. Which one am I going to anoint? Well, let me see them all. And his father leaves David out in the field. Wait a second, I was born in iniquity. My mother conceived me in sin. Could it be, though we're not sure 100%, it looks a lot like David may have been an illegitimate child. Though he was definitely Jesse's son, Jesse didn't invite him because maybe, just maybe, Jesse was ashamed of him. Now, what does that look like from David as a child? My father is ashamed of me. He didn't even invite me when the man of God came to the house. And so now when I come, it's reluctant. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, we got David, but, uh, you know. And so David comes to the house. Samuel anoints him as king. Immediately after, Goliath comes in town. And Goliath is ready ready to strap it up and fight. And then David says to his brothers, hey, I can take this guy. How do his brothers react? Not very brotherly. What are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be out there with sheep and stuff? Get away. Rejected by father. Rejected by brothers. Maybe his mother was no longer in the picture. David felt rejected. Maybe, just maybe, David grew up as an illegitimate child in the household and never felt that brokenness healed. And so he carried it with him his entire life. The third reason why I believe this is true is because when David was anointed king and when David eventually became king, his mother wasn't in the palace. And, and we know biblically that any time a great king came into secession, his mother would come. His mother would be put up. It'd be like a Rich Carlton situation next to the palace. She'd be taken care of. We see no trace of his mother. Could it be that David was swept over, forgotten, neglected by his fathers, his brothers. And then he finds Jonathan. Okay, now, now I've got a great relationship with this young man. Jonathan ends up getting murdered. He walks with Saul. Before Jonathan, he walks with Saul. And and now I've got a man of God that's going to lead me. He's the king. Now Saul's throwing spears at him. Look at the continuation of rejection. Does this sound familiar? Some of you all may have been, you might not know your father. 
Some of you all may have, may have been born in horrible situations. Some of you all may have been abused. This sounds similar to you, doesn't it? And if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to heal you in this place, then you'll be taking it with you everywhere. And even if you make it to the highest of places, David was king, it still haunts you. Maybe that's why David clung to God. He was a man after God's own heart. Could it be that he was so broken? He said, God, you're the only one that I can get close to. You're the only one that hasn't rejected me. You're the only one that was with me when I was out there with the sheep. You're the only one that was with me when I, when I was running from Saul, hiding in caves. You've been there with me the whole time. I love you with all my life and all my heart. See, the brokenness will lead you to intimacy with God. The brokenness leads you to security in God. We're taught to have a chip on our shoulder as children, especially in sports, in life in general. They say, hey, hey, you just keep on grinding. Your haters, that's motivation. You know they say that stuff. Nobody believed in you. Nobody believed in you. Yeah, that's why you're going to kill it. Play mad. They used to tell us that in sports. Play mad. I don't believe that's God at all. Here's why. God doesn't do chips. God doesn't do chips. He redeems. God will set you free. I believe that David might have been in these wars, not even fighting the Philistines, not even fighting who he's fighting. He might have been fighting against his past. He tells Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off. The slingshot would have done just enough. He was already dead. But maybe that aggression, what made him a great warrior was that brokenness. See, the gift comes without repentance. And so I can climb this ladder, climb this ladder. The teacher told me I was dumb. I'm going to get this NBA. That coach said I was nothing. I'm going to make it to the league. And, and we live our whole life, we base our whole life on proving ourselves to somebody. What's the point of fighting for acceptance when you've already been accepted by God? David was a worshiper and a warrior. And one of the worst things ever is for someone to find success with bad practices. See, because when I was growing up, my coaches used to curse at me. Why? Because some coach used to curse at him. And that coach that cursed at him won a state championship probably. And so then they go to these conventions and the coaches say, now this is what I tell my boys. And everybody writes down the note, okay, cuss out kid, check. <laughs> throw hat, check. Throw, throw, throw notepad, check. CEOs, oh, this is what I do. I, I, I don't, I don't. I don't give any gifts. I don't do anything to my employees. They, I, I just make them work. And we won sales title of the year. He speaks at the convention, leading everybody astray. What about the parents? Now we're going to get real. The father, my boy is going to work out here in the yard. And when I yell at him, I'm letting him know this is how a man talks to you. Now that man grows up yelling at his wife. This father's proud because his, his son got into a nice school. His son got a nice job, but that's success with bad practices. We got to be careful, church, 
Because if I succeed doing the wrong thing, God is not involved. And now I'm living a life neglecting the power of God. I'm thinking that it's all about me. Maybe that's why David said, purify me, God, in verse 7, that I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Then he says this in verse 8, and this is our posture. Make me, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Here's why this is so important. Because when you feel the weight of your sin, it should crush you. And being crushed is a good thing. We live in a world where we teach, be strong. Don't show your weakness. Don't show your tears. Don't show your pain. No, I live in a world, and you live in a world as believers, where the lower we go, the higher we get. Because my brokenness is where God can get in the, involved. And so in my weakness, I'm made strong by him. He lifts me up. So instead of fronting, choosing image over identity, image what I want you to see. Identity is who I really am. Instead of choosing that, I choose to get on my face so that I can smell the glue in the carpet as I worship and cry out to God. See, because from that place, I know that I'll be secure in Jesus. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter if I end up successful or not. I just want to be intimate with God. He'll handle the rest. That's why I heard it was said somewhere in like Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added. Why are we seeking things? We need to seek the kingdom. I'll let you know what. The kingdom ain't up there in, in your, your job, your, that, that CEO position, that big, that big bank account, all this. No, the kingdom's down here on your face. Bring the kingdom up there. Probably propel you and help you get up there quicker. Then he talks about purity and security. Created me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. When our hearts are pure, we see God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure at heart, for they see God. We wonder why we can't see God. God, I can't hear you. Where are you? I can't see you. I don't feel you in service. It's because we're not walking in purity. Now, there's some seasons where God will allow you to go deeper, and I get that. But for the most part out of my life is I'm lacking purity. And so, God, you're competing. Your spirit is competing with what's on Instagram, what's on my Netflix account, what's on my YouTube channel, what's on all these other things. I'm preaching to somebody in here. I know I'm not talking to just myself. But it's hard to hear you and see you, God, over all of these things that are not pure. I know you won't say amen because that will give you up. But I'll say amen for you. <laughs> It's like, I want to say amen. I'll text it to you, Pastor. I'll email you. Amen. I don't want everybody to know about that. <laughs> then he goes into the need for the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, David says, I need a steadfast spirit. What does it mean to have a steadfast spirit? That means in the, for the rest of my life, not just this moment where I'm broken, not just this moment where I'm at the altar, but for the rest of my life, posture my, I want to posture myself to you, and I want to be steadfast, and I want to hear from you constantly so that I can grow in you and find security in you. I don't want it to stop here. Then he says this, and this is why it's important to read our Bible every day. He says this in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
When's the last time that happened in David's life? When did he see that? Oh, wait, the spirit departed from Saul. David understood what he had seen and said, I remember that. God, please don't do that to me. I've watched that. I've read that. I've seen that. He didn't read it. He lived it. I saw that. But for us, we read that. And so God, don't take your spirit from me. I want to stay right here steadfast in your presence. This is why it's important to read the word of God. You're wondering why you're stuck. You're wondering why you don't, you're not feeling God. Go back into the word. Maybe there's some things that your life is, uh, uh, is, is displaying. Maybe there's some things that you're doing. Maybe there's some things that, that you're thinking that are disqualifying you from really getting in the presence of God. So therefore, surrender. Say, God, search me. Clean me up because I want to get in your presence. Lastly, save me from myself. Save me from myself. It's one thing to be saved and sanctified and know that you're going to heaven. Glorious, incredible. But what are you going to do about the rest of these years here? See, because you, even though you got saved and even though you are now a co-heir with Christ, you still are you. You're still you. And only you know you. Like, I know you got it down when you walk here today, when you walked in here. Hey, how you doing? Praise God. I ask you, how you doing? God is just moving in my life. I know you rehearsed that, and I know you got it down. But when you go home, and when you sit by yourself in your room, you find you again. Oh, not you again. Yeah, it's me still. And you got to deal with these insecurities. You deal with these emotions. You deal with these negative thoughts. You deal with your sin. You deal with your past. We need to be saved from ourselves. God, I want to be more like you and less like me. Salvation restores our joy, David says, and it empowers us to walk rightly. And David knew a thing or two about deliverance. He was delivered from his childhood, being stuck out there in the fields all his life. He was delivered from the Philistines, delivered from Saul. He had been delivered all his life. But he knew this moment, God, if you can deliver me in this moment, this will cover all of the insecurities and things that have been deep down in me, that Joab, that Samuel, that these people, they, they didn't know about. Deliver me from this. This is my greatest battle. It's funny how a lot of times dysfunction leads us into sin. Brokenness leads us into worship, but dysfunction leads us into sin. And so our brokenness is good. We want to get closer to God. But in your brokenness, bring it all in. Don't just, don't just say, God, handle me on this thing. Or God, I'm going to get with you on Sundays and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday. No, God, come in my heart, come in my life. I want you to transform me from the inside out. I want to be with you always, steadfast in my spirit. Give me a spirit that is willing to walk this thing out. Holiness and joy go together and they produce great strength. See, because the more holy we walk, the more pure we walk, the more, more, the more we're like Christ, the more we see Christ. And the more we see Christ, the more we're full of the joy because there's joy in the presence of God. And the more that joy and the more we experience that joy, we, we see strength. See, because the joy, joy of the Lord is our strength. And what does that look like? That's faith. And so we're built up in our faith because we know the joy of the Lord. So I want to close with this. Since we know all that we know and all that we study. We end right here at verse 13. David says, after all of this, after you've restored me, after you've cleaned me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. This is important. 
David wanted to witness to the world and teach them the ways of God out of his brokenness. But he had to go to the broken place to be able to preach the word. So many of us want to start with influence without insight. I want to influence. There's people online that call themselves influencers. I'm an influencer. I'm helping people out. You know, I'm giving them a word. Give them a good Facebook post here and there. I look at the likes. People are really growing. I'm seeing some fruit on Facebook, Instagram. I'm an influencer. I go speak at the schools. I got a little word for the kids. Here's my little acronym that I give. Oh, wow, that's so good. I'm an influencer. How can you be an influencer if you have no insight on the brokenness of your life? You're giving what you don't have. You're making it up. You're drawing from other people's stories. When God is saying, I want you to get into the deep place with me, get intimate with me, so that when you share, when you speak, there's salt on that because you've been through it. Preach your life. Don't preach what you think is right. See, because out of that brokenness, now we see David and we say, David's a strong man. David, what a man. Even in his darkest hour, in the greatest sin of his life, look at this intimacy with God. And now we speak about him to this day. Start there. Don't neglect your past. Don't neglect your bad habits. Don't neglect your habitual sin. Start right here. And this will be your true message. Maybe God was still working on David. Maybe God had a message that hadn't been finished. David would have had a good message if he just was the king and then everything went well. But now the message has more power. I'm not saying go and find some mess to get into for you to have a good story. You, th- trust me, it's enough. If you lived long enough, it's enough junk. Deal with that right there and allow God to transform you by taking your broken and contrite heart and lifting you up and and empowering you to be all that he's called you to be and, and for you to do all that he's called you to do, amen?